a pharmacist actually use this analogy of a mentor versus a sponsor. Mm. And I think that it's important for you to have both, right? Mm. You have someone that you can, on a date and a frequent basis, you receive that mentorship from, but you also have someone like, like Sheila mentioned, that organic chemistry teacher who now seems to be a sponsor for her. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Living African. Today we will be talking about a very important topic that's very close to my heart because I have lived through it and that is the international student experience in the United States. So the United States has been one, if not the most popular destination for young people coming from Africa to pursue further studies after high school. And these young people who are considered temporary non-immigrant visitors to the United States are also known as international students. So I actually originally came to America as an international student, and I know way many more people who did the same. And I have two of my friends here who actually shared a similar story to me, and I'm super excited for them to talk about their experiences, actually for us all to talk about our experiences and maybe help other people who are aspiring to come over to the United States. So I want to welcome Dr. Sheila Eno and Dr. Idris Yakubu to this episode. Welcome, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks How's it going? Great. Well, doing great. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. I'm super excited to talk to you both. And I'll just start with the introductions. Like, Dr. Sheila, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Anya, thank you for having us on this platform. My name is Sheila Eno. Um, I'm currently an internal medicine resident at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. But prior to that, I went to undergrad at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill when I came to the U.S. Then I came to Baltimore, actually, to Johns Hopkins to get a Master's of Science in Public Health with a focus on international health. Then I went to medical school at the University of Pittsburgh. Awesome. And also, you're originally from Cameroon, just like I am, <laughs> born and raised. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you very much, Dr. Eno, and uh, Dr. Idris Yakubu. Thanks, Dr. Fombad. Uh, my name is Idris Yakubu. I went to pharmacy school in Toledo, Ohio with Dr. Fombad, and uh, I did my uh, pharmacy, pharmacy practice residency at the University of Toledo Medical Center, and then I did my transplant specialization training at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Currently practice as a transplant pharmacist at Virginia Commonwealth University Health System. I've been there now for five years, and uh, originally from Nigeria. So excited to be part of this podcast and uh, sharing my experiences with you all. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I mean, it's always a pleasure speaking with you guys. And like I said, I really look forward to this conversation because, you know, I really look forward to relieving all those memories, whether good or bad, but at least it's going to help somebody. And so, so let's just start. I mean, there's so much to talk about. So let's just start with the whole application process. I mean, I know for sure the application process 10, 15 years ago to come to the United States, especially as an international student, Probably it's not the same, like the application experience. I don't really want to say process, but just the whole experience and stuff, because a lot of things are way more stringent. But how was your application process like even prior to that? Were you aware of like what you wanted to come to study in the United States? So I'll let Dr. Sheila start with that. Um, that's a great question. So um, I will start with the first question. Was I aware of what I wanted to study coming to the U.S.? So I always knew I wanted to be a doctor from the age of seven. So, you know, being born and raised in Cameroon, at least for me, you had thought that to be a doctor, you need to do the sciences. So before coming to the U.S., I just was like, I'm going to do biology because that's what I thought that I needed to do to be a doctor. Right. That's not true, but that's what I thought. So right. I came to the U.S. wanting to do biology, and I added a second major when I got to the U.S. and realized that you didn't need to do biology to be a doctor. You can do anything and be a doctor. So I added psychology as my second major. Wow. So for the application process... My dad helped me a lot. I just remember um, I was in lower seat or 11th grade when I started thinking about applying to one school in the U.S. undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad calling me this one day and he had like this big catalog because we had internet, but it wasn't that popular, you know. Yeah. So we had the catalog of U.S. news, like all the colleges, and we just sat down and went by like the rankings because, you know, African parents, you just go by the rankings right. of college. And that's how we post and also schools that were good in biology. And um, he helped me a lot, like sending my applications. He helped edit my essays also. Thank God for him. And Marco, also my older brother, who was already in college in the U.S., helped me edit my essay. Right. So um, I had some support. So that helped a lot. Right, right. That's very that's very interesting because my dad as well, my dad was very resourceful in helping. I mean, my mom wasn't really around because she traveled for work. She works at the United Nations, so she was always out. But my dad was, we also had, I remember that catalog and he was looking at schools. I mean, originally, funny enough, I had to go to school in the UK. I was actually had an admission in the UK and it was like last minute that they just changed everything and I had to come to, you know, the United States. But my dad was very, very resourceful towards you know the whole application experience so what about you dr idris yeah so when i was in high school my my strengths were in the math and and sciences i loved physics a lot i loved math and and for the math right my options were something in in the medical field or engineering and at some point i was gravitating more towards engineering i wanted to be a computer engineer but what really moved me into more medicine was the conversation i had with my dad you know, I was going on a road trip with my dad, and he asked me, what are you going to do in college? And I said, I wanted to be an engineer. And mm-hmm. the response was, we have to meet engineers in the family. <laughs> Pick something <laughs> else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but um, I think from a young age, I recognized that I did not want to be a physician. So I started to, you know, from a young age, explore different other disciplines in healthcare, and pharmacy was one that was very intriguing to me. So coming into the U.S., for school, I knew I was going to pursue pharmacy. The application process was pretty much straightforward. My brother went to school in Canada in winter, and on one of the visits, my dad, my dad visited my brother in Canada. He brought back, he visited a family friend in Toledo, 
and brought back a catalog of the University of Toledo's application and said, awesome. hey, throughout this application. So, you know, essentially all I knew about University of Toledo and schooling abroad was reading that University of Toledo's uh, catalog. Put out the application, got accepted. And once I started to complete the application process, I started to look into other schools as well in the U.S. And it was really almost based off, based off of areas where you had family. Or family. Right. It was Toledo, Maryland. Those are the areas where I was primarily looking at schools. So my dad was obviously very, very uh, involved in the process. You have to write an essay on paper, give it to him. He would proofread it. He would write the essay give you feedback, go back and revise it. Second draft, third draft, fourth draft. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow, that's that's awesome. That's so great to hear. I mean, from my own perspective as well, like I really did not, you know, I wish, you know, one of the things that I really wish that we had were like mentors that were already here, not necessarily even family. Like if we were aware of like programs or mentors that were already here that could literally guide us on maneuvering and just, you know, getting our way around once we came here because we all came here at very we were teenagers when we came to America and we came by ourselves you know so it's like we had to figure a lot of things out I feel like if we had like advisors or maybe they were, the schools had actually had I had advisors but we just did not know about those like to call them from Africa and really get some advice based on you know the options that we could potentially pursue you know based on of course our preferences like what we were really passionate about because I also loved math I still do and physics as well those were like one of my favorite subjects in high school and I mean I I, I knew I didn't want to be a doctor because my mom was a doctor and I just did not I'm, I'm a huge empath so I, I knew I would be miserable <laughs> as a doctor but I mean I, I felt like the only other choice I had was just to be a pharmacist that was closest to a doctor you know and I remember I mean I was very clueless by the way I remember I remember the day before I was living for America one of my aunties she was like why are you trying to do pharmacy do you want to be like just selling in a drugstore because back in Africa that's all we have you know like we don't really have specialties in pharmacies like we don't have specializations it's just the drugstore you know and anybody can sell medications like you don't need any regulations and stuff like that you know so she was like you don't want to do that but I mean I just had it in my heart I'm like okay I know for sure I don't want to do a drugstore pharmacy which you know I have nothing against that I mean and I've come to really have a lot of respect for retail pharmacists because the amount of work that they have to do and the stress they go through I don't think I would have survived you know and I knew I wanted to do something different but I had no clue what I wanted to do even right when I was in pharmacy school I had no clue what I wanted to do so I really wish that you know with all those choices and stuff like that we had someone that was you know advising us you know on what to do but that was such an interesting way to look at it like based on both of y'all's story and how you even came about doing what you're doing today you know so thank you very much for sharing I would, I would add, when, when you talk about mentorship, one of the things that I ended up you know, encountering in my process of application was the United States Educational Advisor Center, oftentimes affiliated to the United, United States embassies in different countries. Hmm. Uh, this was a program that I ended up coming across, and what they do is that mentorship. They help wow. you they go through your application process. They help go through you know, your scholarship applications. And just, you know, uh, they, oftentimes we have visiting students that are schooling in the U.S. that return to the countries to share their experiences about their college experiences and whatnot. Right. Uh, so for anyone that's looking into coming to school in the United States, you know, I think that's certainly 
you know, a good resource for them to look into, you know, contact the United States Embassy to see if they have programs like that. And wow. I think it's probably similar for uh, the United Kingdom as well. I think they have the British Council where they have, you know, programs like that, that you can tap into and, and, you know, utilize that as a resource. Wow. Thank you very much for sharing that. I actually did not know about that. <laughs> so, yeah, we would definitely have that resource. We'll definitely have that information, like in the show notes and on the website. So for anyone who hopes to come to America to study, look out for that. Thank you so much, Dr. Idris. Now, let's talk about that adrenaline, like going to the American embassy. <laughs> It's never fun, right? It's never fun. Like, let's talk about that experience. Like, okay, we've chosen our major. Hopefully, we have made those applications. We have taken the SAT or TOEFL. And then those are the exams, you know. And then now we have to go and face reality, like in that room, you know, talking to those people, like try to sound convincing, you know. I mean, as for me, my own experience was, oh my goodness. I mean, I would not say I was nervous when I went there, but I freaked out when I went there for sure, because almost everybody ahead of me, they denied them visas. (laughs) So I was like, oh my goodness, this is it, you know? And I mean, I remember after high school, a lot of my peers, they applied to universities like in in other parts of Cameroon, but I just did not, you know, I, I mean, I was just passing, I, I'll call it passing time at this university in Yaoundé, you know, but I was more of having fun than even going to school. Cause I knew, you know, like the route was already clear. I was going to yeah. the United States, you know, but then again, that visa was like the main hurdle that I had to go through. So I want to really hear your own experiences. So Dr. Idris, you want to start? <laughs> So the visa experience was actually quite interesting for me um, because my first attempt at visa, my visa application, I got denied. Oh. And that's, that's what led me to discovering the Educational Advising Center at in, in Lagos. And it was very, very, very surprising, right? And, and reflecting on the experience, I, th- I think I know why I got denied. So, you know, like I said, the way I, I found out about University of Toledo was my dad wrote a catalog and said, here's a school and apply and I got accepted. I really didn't do a whole lot of research on my own. Right. right? A lot of the things that I learned about University of Toledo was the things that I heard from my dad and what I read from the catalog. Versus the average student that is passionate about coming to school in the United States who goes out and does a bunch of research on different schools, Mm -hmm. you know, goes through the application process themselves they really have a good knowledge of why they want to go to the United States for school, why they chose that specific institution and what they hope to get from the experience. Right. I don't think at my initial attempt at going to the embassy, I had all of those answers. So when I went to the consular officer, they could tell that my response were very rehearsed. <laughs> Leading up to my visa interview, I had practice sessions with my dad. Like, these are the kind of questions they're going to ask you. These are the kind of responses you should provide. Right. Very, very rehearsed. So oh my the consular officer was like, I don't trust this guy's going to go to the United States to go to school or even return or has ties to return home. <laughs> oh, my um, goodness. So in the interim, you know, I, you know, pursued, you know, looking at schooling opportunities in Nigeria. So actually, I started studying pharmacy in University of Lagos. Mm. I, I, I was in University of Lagos for less than a whole academic year because I applied again, you know, for my visa and got accepted. But mm-hmm. uh, I had to defer my application to the uh, next uh, application cycle at University of Toledo. And I went back and did my own research on various schools. Actually, at that time, I was going to the embassy with just a single application. When I went back and did my own research, you know, I applied to, what, like 
20 more schools. I got like a bunch of admissions. Mm-hmm. When I need to apply to Toledo, I did not have any scholarship. But when I, my second round of applications, because I was, you know, I had more information about the process, I actually had a ton of scholarship. Wow. But you chose to go to Toledo because we had that family friend, you know, sort of, you know, guardian in Toledo to, uh, to, to help with the transition. Right. Uh, so that was my, that was my experience. It was very, very intimidating. But I learned a whole ton from the experience and going through the uh, education advising center, you know, you get to connect with a lot of friends who are also going through the same journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also maintain that relationship even while in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still have so a lot of them are still my very, very close friends. Wow. Uh, you know, even while you're going through school and trying to, you know, go through the assimilation process, you reach out to them and figure out how they're doing you know, what kind of struggles they're facing. And you just have those individuals for you to bounce ideas off of and, and you know, exchange your, your struggles. Uh, so, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. What about you, Dr. Sheila? Yeah. So going to the U.S. Embassy, like, it's never straightforward, in my opinion, because, one, they're very rude. I would say, like, the embassy yeah. rude. Like, they can be very obnoxious, just, like, getting in, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm a human being, treat me with respect, you know? Right. But um, so walking in, they make it sound like you're not welcome. And usually it's not even the Americans. It's, first of all, our yeah. fellow Cameroonians. It's the Cameroonians, yeah. 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 <laughs> so you walk in already, they scare you from the get-go, and then you get into the embassy, just like you and your everyone or not i would say like 90 percent of the people in front of me got denied the visa and at the embassy they can also be obnoxious when they refuse the visa yeah like they will be loud so yeah they'll, they'll be, be so loud <laughs> so loud yeah and so um that scares you before you get to um the officer and you lose some confidence and you start stammering even if you know yeah. the answer so yeah like, hey, i actually will come back to my country because i have valid reasons to come back so yeah it was nerve-wracking more because of how they receive you as opposed to um, the whole, like, as opposed to you lying to the embassy, you know, so yeah. I would say it was nerve wracking. But once I started talking to them and explaining to them why I wanted to come to the U.S. and showing them that, you know, the reasons for me to come back to Cameroon, you know, as opposed to staying in the U.S., it went smoothly. I right. Overall. Yeah. But initially it was nerve wracking. Yeah, it, it was it was really nerve wracking. I mean, someone yeah. like my junior brother, he went when he was still he was still very young when he came here. So my dad actually answered for him on his behalf because he was too young he was a minor you know so they wouldn't even ask him the question so they asked my dad and my dad answered for him and he was just standing there you know so i i finished high school when i was 16 so in my initial round of application i was 16 going to the embassy right so that also played a role too that you yeah. know this young guy You're very young like, yeah yeah it was clear it was very evident that i I didn't have a, a clear sense of what's going to school in the United States. Right. And, you know, I, I can easily tell from the, from the consular officer's perspective was I wasn't serious enough or I wasn't mature enough to be able to go to school in the United States mm-hmm. and try. So I guess my advice to folks applying is it's not a walk in the park. You know, yeah, it's not. There's a lot of preparation that goes into yeah. going to the embassy and you have to know a lot about your major, you have to know a lot about your school, you have to know a lot about, you know, who's going to, how are you going to pay for school? Right, right, right. You know, and uh, you're going to have to demonstrate that you have strong ties to your country that will make you come back to your country. Right. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's very that's very important. Thank you so much for sharing that. Actually, that was the next question I was gonna ask. Like, I what will you to, really tell? One, yeah. And one other thing I would add is, you know, like yes, you can 
I'll say try to get as truthful as you can because yeah. somehow they can tell, you know, they when you're tell. not a hundred percent truthful. Of course, like it's okay to embellish your story, but try to get as truthful, right? Because they can tell, and I think that's also one of the reasons why some people I could hear like that the officer was doubting the answers, and that's why they said no. So as truthful as you can be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I feel like if I had to, if someone asked me like the top maybe two or three things that are very important for any international student coming, especially to the U.S., is number one, like Idris said, you have to make sure that you prove to them that you have strong ties to your country and that you will return because that's the main thing. You can have all A grades, you can have whatever, but if you don't convince them that you're going to return, you know, and you can tell them, you know, based on, you know, one good thing is like having family back home, of course, you know, so they would know that, hey, you know, this person has family back home. And then another thing, too, is that you are not you have to prove to them that you're not going to be the bur- a burden to the U.S. government. In in other words, you can finance yourself. So you have to make sure that either you or your parents, you know, have a lot of assets that, you know, valid assets, actually, <laughs> that you can prove that, you know, they own, that they can be able to cover all your expenses throughout the year that you're going to be there and of course the third one is obviously know what you're going to do in the u.s you just can't go to the embassy without having a clear path know like your immediate goals your mid-term goals or even your long-term goals because they could ask you because that will determine if you're the kind of person that you want to stay in in the u.s like the long-term goal i mean i think one of my long-term goals were like i want to come back and really change the dynamic of pharmacy in cameroon hey but i'm still here whatever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know what you know things like that you know it's it's very important to make sure that look at it as a job interview you know make make sure that you have a clear path to your future and you also be be truthful like what dr sheila said you know so that's what i can add i mean we're going to v- revisit that topic eventually now i mean we already have the visas, you know, and we're happy, excited, celebratory. And then now we have to get ready to come to the United States. My own, <laughs> my own experience. I can't even remember that per se, but I really didn't know what to expect because I had never been to the United States. I mean, I had traveled out of Cameroon for sure to other African countries, but this was the first time that I was traveling to the Western countries. So, I mean, I came with my dad, but I had no idea what to expect like I didn't even know what to pack I packed just my just a little box you know I gave out a lot of my things like hey I'm I'm traveling you know in in my country they call it bush faller I'm like yeah (laughs) you know I'm I'm falling bush (laughs) you know (laughs) hey I, I I I mean I know I didn't really know exactly what was coming my way but I was very hopeful and excited to start a new phase in my life so what about you guys what about you Dr. Sheila yeah. So coming to the U.S. for school, I would say I had been to the U.S. before, but that was on vacation. And in my opinion, it's a totally different experience being on vacation with your family and like mm-hmm. leaving your home and coming to the U.S. for school. It was hard. Like the transition coming to the U.S. for school was hard. Before leaving Cameroon, just like you and my parents, my siblings accompanied me. So that was nice, you know, to have them accompany me, mm-hmm. but they left, you know, and I had to figure life on my own, even if they were supporting me from Cameroon, but you're alone in the U.S. and you have to figure out, yes, you know what you want to do. You want to do biology, but you have to figure out how to do it. And then studying in the U.S. was different from studying in Cameroon, I would say. So that was also just challenging. Finding genuine friends that would not, you know, me from 
following my dream. Of course, I had the wrong friends at the beginning. Consequences <laughs> to that, you know. Right. So um, even just finding the right friends, you know, like that was hard. And missing home was also very challenging. Yes. And just also like learning how to, which we'll talk about later. Like there's a question about that, like networking also yes. was like challenging. Just getting used to the whole U.S. system was challenging. That's why even if I had been there on vacation, it was a whole different experience. And it just felt like I had never been to the U.S. when I went to college. Right, right. Yeah. That's interesting. What about you, Dr. Idris? Yeah, I think it was uh, it was an intimidating experience for me <laughs> to, to a certain degree. But like you, I think I, I had an open mind. Uh, I think it was intimidating because once I started to learn more about, you know, Studying pharmacy in the United States, that you know, especially with Toledo, I realized that I wasn't actually in the pharmacy program yet. You know, mm. I was mm-hmm. going yeah. into a pre-pharmacy, pre-pharmacy program, yeah. and I had to do very well academically for you to get into the PharmD program, yeah, and, and and all of those, you know. So, from my academic perspective, I just wasn't sure what to expect, mm. right? And I think one thing that that was. A little bit intimidating for me initially was for you to get an A, you had to get 90%. 90%, yeah. <laughs> in Nigeria, it was like 80% or something right. like that. Right. And to get 80% back in Nigeria was so hard. very challenging. Yeah, it was very like, hard. Now, now I have to get a 90% or a boss to get an A? Yeah. <laughs> you know how it is back home. Like, your dad wants to see those, your parents want to see those A's on your report. So from that aspect, it was quite you know, intimidating. And then, you know, just like you both of you have shared is just assimilating to a new culture, uh, friends and, you know, cultural shock and yeah. all that and making sure that you have good people around you that will continue to support you, that will continue to motivate you to do well and you don't get lost in oral yeah. distractions and, yes. and all that. So I think those, those were the challenges. When I... When I traveled, I was fortunate. My family friend who lives in Toledo, they actually were visiting around the same period. So it was it worked out really well. So, mm-hmm. you know, we flew to the U.S. together, landed in Detroit, and, you know, drove from Detroit to Toledo. So actually, when I landed in Detroit, I, I don't know if you know Mel. Mel Betty? Yeah, 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 Mel, yeah. I landed in Detroit, and the first person I seen as, as soon as I landed was Mel. Huh. You know, you know, and it was very, very interesting because, you know, I walked up and, you know, we made eye contact and I introduced myself and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to school in Toledo, I'm going to study in pharmacy. I'm not at that point with, I just got in accepting into the PharmD program at Toledo. Wow. I was like, wow. This is- <laughs> Mind-blowing. So, uh, yeah, I know. So, uh, yeah, Mel was the first uh, person in that from UT that I met as soon as I landed uh, in Detroit and... Uh, and obviously we connected afterwards and it was kind of one of those initial people that I was looking forward to, you know, looking up to. You know, right, Mo right. Mel was, was good, you know what I mean? Like, like he's got his ducks in your home. Yeah, right? yeah. Up. So it was good to see someone who was going through the same journey and was excelling so well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just having people like that to look up to was very, very uh, uh, soothing as well. Wow, that, that was a very good story because that was like your first networking opportunity, right? Right as you landed. <laughs> Now look at you today. It's you like tell, you tell Mel looked at me and he was, he was his expressions was probably like you don't know what you're about to get yourself into. Right? 
Right? For sure, for sure. I mean, oh my goodness. Talking about experiences, I don't even know where to start because I remember like my dad and I, we came where we landed in Virginia. So we spent some time with my, my aunties in Virginia. So we had to go, we had to come to Detroit because I came to like a private school. It was this little Catholic school in uh, Michigan. And basically for the most part, I was usually the only black person in my class for the most part, you know? And so... For some weird reason, we got our flight ticket the day before to come from Virginia to Detroit. <laughs> so for some weird reason, there was just one seat in that plane, but my dad and I had to come. So what we decided to do was we looked for two airlines and then we booked two airlines that were going at around the same time. And we booked one seat in that airline and then one seat in the other one. So my dad and I should arrive at the same time. So now we got on the plane and landed in Detroit and before you know it I landed but I could not see my dad <laughs> you know so for, because it was in the winter as well you know so around that time I think my dad's flight was delayed because something happened they had to even switch planes and stuff like that but I was freaking out. I didn't have a phone. I was freezing. I didn't know where my luggages were. I didn't know because my dad checked both luggages in his plane. So I came without a luggage. Like I was freaking out and I was just crying and walking around the airport, looking and looking at boards and asking questions. And, you know, I had no idea what was going on. And then my dad landed and we both spent about two hours in the airport looking for each other until my dad had to like use a speaker. Like he went and talked to someone at the kiosk and they called my name and I was like, oh my goodness, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and I was crying. I was like, no, this is not what I signed up for. So it was, I mean, from get go, it was such a very traumatizing experience. And, you know, going now to my, the first school I went to, I studied pre-pharmacy but this is another reason why I felt like it would have been better for us to have mentors, which, you know, Idris gave a, a really good idea, you know, of that opportunity because I felt like I took some classes that were irrelevant. I mean, first of all, I speak good English. I spoke good English too, but they put me in an English as a second language class, yes. you know, the ESL class. And I'm like, I mean, I didn't even have to read. I was just like, killing it like I was having 100% and stuff like that and I was like this is a waste of my time you know I mean I, I really feel like you know a lot of the things that we did especially in the high school level back in Africa we're literally like sophomore level in equivalent to sophomore level which is second year in university here you know so like my first two years were just like a piece of cake you know chemistry organic chemistry and biology physics you know all those things so I feel like you know if there we could find like a way I mean I'm gonna look into that I don't know if any of you guys have that idea like to look into a way like a school that even like do good conversions that they can qualify you to have taken certain courses that you don't need to take anymore you know because I felt like I really wasted a lot of my time you know but then I had to move to Toledo and then that's when like the real life started you know so I don't know about I mean about the culture shock I personally you know I had a hard time with the accent you know maybe for the first semester and it was really strange because you know being the only black person in class it, it was just it was it was weird you know and then I had to you know, get acclimated very, very quick on the, the system. The system is very quick. It's very, I mean, it's very easy, but we back home, we took exams very manually. We didn't use like the bubble sheets, you know, the test sheets that you have to, you know, there are a lot of things that we, we did back home that we did not do. I mean, that's not done here. So you, essay type of right, right, right. 
you're right down your, your rationale for things. Right, you know? right. I mean, like you had to think more here and you had to yeah. be more applicable and not just memorizing yeah. concepts and yeah. things like that, you know? So I don't know if you guys can talk about your own culture shock experiences. Dr. Idris. Culture shock. I think that one, food was big for me. Yeah. <laughs> For the first, almost for an entire semester, I was going to the cafeteria and just trying to figure out what am I going to eat? Like, I kept eating pizza and cereal. Like, oh. You know, it was just like trying to figure out, you know, food was, was one. The other, in terms of building relationships, I think I was very intentional about connecting with international students as, as much as also connecting with, you know, the Americans. Because, you know, the international students were people that I was able to, you know, really people that are going through the same struggle mm-hmm. and we could, you know, empathize with each other. We could, you know, share about how we were able to overcome certain struggles. Right. Uh, so from that perspective, it was very beneficial. So being part of the International Students Association, made a bunch of friends from that. Mm-hmm. Even before I came to the United States, I already like networked with my roommate you know at that time it was myspace (laughs) (laughs) right i remember myspace on high five yeah i was already friends with my roommates on myspace where i didn't even exchange messages you know also i think that via your student portal you can also see people that are in your class so sending people in my class on myspace and facebook and you know just anticipating that you know getting to the uh getting on campus other than that, like, I knew, I think that when you had, when I, for example, uh, I remember the, my biology teacher, she spoke really fast, you know, yeah. okay, lady that spoke really fast and it was very for me to sometimes understand her. You know, I think at some point I had to actually start recording the lectures so I could go back and listen to, you know, mm. listen to the lectures afterwards. And, you know, just understanding what was going to get tested because initially just like, you know, you guys, you both alluded to, you know, back home, it was learning the essay behind the questions. Like, you go through these whole paragraphs of response to your right. question. The real, true application of what you're learning in class. So, understanding the methods of how questions are going to be gonna, going to be asked. You know, I initially was reading about a bunch of textbooks. I bought all the textbooks initially, spent thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> any of them. You know, all you needed was just to hand out in class and take notes and read that. And that's that's right. But literally, I was, I had this one of these bags where you roll to class because whenever I was, (laughs) you had so many books. (laughs) Yeah. Whenever I left my germ to go to class, I was essentially on campus for the whole day. It was class to class to class to class. So I had all my textbooks. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I think those are my major uh, culture challenges where, you know, how am I going to get tested? How am I, you know, how am I just going to do well academically? And then yeah. socially, it was just meeting a bunch of people on campus. The International Student Association was a, a good uh, opportunity. And also just like being open-minded, um, interacting with, with folks. Folks want to hear about your story. Right, you right. Across, you're going to come across ignorant people that are going to ask you questions like, how did you get to the United States? Right, you know, yeah. Or do you yeah, speak like, English? Like, or where do you live? Do you guys live in tents and things like yeah, that? Ridiculous. Like that. You're going to have this ignorant people but those are just ignorant people but generally speaking people want to truly know no. about your story they yeah. find it very very cool that you left your country to come school the united states yeah uh, they want to learn about your culture you know genuinely want to learn about your culture and people also find you know a lot of international students to be very academically strong yes right? and perhaps it's that motivation of 
if you had that pressure of you can't fail. Because you can't fail, right? The money that's been wasted. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but also I think that the we also have our high education is also very strong. Intense, that it yeah. It very well for us to get a good, you know, foundational knowledge going starting to college. So. Right, right. That's true. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, while you were talking, another thing that I felt like was really very, very interesting and somewhat challenging was the fact that even though the classes, the courses that we attended were very easy to understand per se, and we could grasp the concepts, but the system, the American system, they give you so much homework assignment. It's like, oh my goodness, they keep you busy, right? It's easy stuff, but they keep you busy. This is like, we are not, we, I definitely was not used to that. And I don't even think that's the African system. Like the classes are hard. They test are hard, but they don't really give you as much as homework assignments as they give, you know, here in America. So that's something that it took a while for me to get acclimated to. Cause I was like, Oh my goodness, what's up with all of this work? Like it's, it was ridiculous. They make sure that they keep you busy. So what about you? What was your own culture shock experience after Sheila? Yeah, um, you both like just touched on like most of what I would have said. So I would just like specifically academics, just as you all mentioned. I'm sure we all did like great before coming to the U.S. But as you both mentioned, like Americans focus on critical thinking over memorization. Right. And that was thing, you know, I had to learn, you know, like you could memorize all you wanted and sometimes still not is the test that was like when you got to higher level classes Mm -hmm. if you had not like thought about applying the um like the subject as you all had mentioned um so that was one of the things i had to learn about office hours you know (laughs) yo i went to i actually learned about like i started learning about networking because coming to the u.s i didn't really like know that was a thing i was like oh my gosh just get your a grades and then yeah and go home right yeah then you realize that oh my gosh i need to network so and yeah, I wanted to go into med school and organic chemistry. I found that challenging. So mm-hmm. I was still doing well enough. So, but even with that, because I wanted a letter of recommendation from one of my professors, I still went to her office hours, even if I was acing her test. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, gotta see my face. She gotta know me, you know, so that when I come ask her for a letter of recommendation, she would say mo- she would say something substantial beyond the fact that, oh, she got an A, you know. Right. So just learning right. about networking. And then thirdly, friends, like good friends. As I mentioned before, it's easy to find the wrong friends. You know, like people think life is flashy in America, but actually yeah. you want to excel. You need to find the real friends who would help you stay on your path, on your lane, you know. So initially, yes, I had the wrong crowd. And once I realized that, my gosh, that's not leading me anywhere, I switched my friends. Mm-hmm. And you would realize that the good friends actually do help up make or break your experience in America, you can totally miss your path if you have the wrong friends, but if you have the great ones, you can achieve your goals. And then lastly, what Idris said, you know, you're going to hear the silly comments, which some of them, I was like, my gosh, why would you guys sit down and think about that? But you have to get over it. Like, I remember one friend coming over or like one acquaintance coming over to me and asking me to interpret Hakuna Matata to her. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I don't even know what that means. I don't even, I can't, I don't understand, you know. Another one coming like they assume that just because you came to the u.s like you have nothing else in your country like right with like the saddest expression on your on her face why are your parents still in cameroon why don't they want to move to america isn't life better here and i was like right hey (laughs) but yeah right that's 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 very true i just want to touch on uh, on that your professors knowing you i remember you know one of our mutual friends, Sheila, her name is Inky, uh, she always makes fun of me because we're in the same chemistry class. <laughs> and, you know, initially, 
I was, I started up in class being in the front row because, you know, that's a reflection of like, you're early, you're serious. Right. You know, and one, when I used to do that in our chemistry class, and Nikki used to make fun of me that, you know, this guy's a Nigerian guy trying to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Over time, over time, I started to scale back. <laughs> right, right. And then I ended up in the all the way back seat. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. You know, I remember vividly though, you know, like, you know, in class, they would have you do these clicker questions. Yes. Yes. I remember the clicker questions. questions. I remember one time I went to class. Well, I got an email from the professor saying that they didn't see me in class. Oh, no. I was like, I was in class. These are the questions you asked. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah, because I remember they were using the clickers for attendance, so they're just going to ask, you know, just a simple question, you know, or a random question, as long as you, you know, you use your clicker. I remember. Oh, yeah, those are one of the things. Yeah, clearly my clicker was acting up, so he wasn't registering my attendance. Right. I I was was shocking. Like, I was like, am I in trouble? Like, yeah. So that's like, I responded to the email saying I was in class, this is where I sat, these are the questions you asked, that's right. why people touched them, blah, blah, blah. But you know, I think he was just interested. It was yeah, just like, yeah, that's know. very true. Those are one of the things that actually were... Ch- those are one of the challenges for me too. Like those clicker things. And you know, it was so much that we had to catch up on, man. Like it was crazy, man. Like, I mean, you just had to figure out a way, you know, to, you know, to, to succeed, I guess, you know, but yeah. one thing that you guys, you both really mentioned was that networking. I mean, I can't stress the importance of networking and that's something that we, it's not in our culture in Africa, in it's Africa, not- what matters is what's on paper, like your grades, right? A, you have to have a hundred percent or whatever you have to have your report card should not be red. It should be blue or black, you know? So it's like, but you, you go to class, you just get your grades and you come back home. There are no networking organizations. There are no networking events that you go to and stuff like that so that's one thing that you know we actually had to to learn here and that has really brought us very far because you can't you can't go to the top by yourself like you need people to go to the top so for anyone that's coming to america make sure that networking like ask questions never be shy ask questions make sure that the people that will write your recommendation letter will say good things about you and you have to do that through networking you have to make sure that you're acquainted to these people and make sure that you're really familiar with these people and they're familiar with you as well you know so that's really a big thing i don't know if you guys want to add anything so i would also say um one thing that i had to learn coming here also was you know like in addition to networking joining extracurricular activities you know like you can study all you want that's great But if you want to go to, like, amazing places, you have to, like, branch out. Because Americans love to see that, yes, you can study and get good grades. But also that... You have a balance. Something else in that program, like the hospital or, I don't know, like, pharmacy or something. So do Mm -hmm. join extracurricular activities. Be it organizations in your college. There'll be a thousand of them. Like, just pick your interest, join it. Be it, like, Mm -hmm. music, even, whatever. Like, something extra so they can see that you're a well-rounded human being. And leadership opportunities. Right. If you can join any leadership opportunity, like they really, really love to see those leadership opportunities um, and that you can be a leader. Regardless of the culture shock that you will encounter, it's inevitable. Yeah. One thing I would also stress is to remain true to yourself. Oh, yes. That they also do appreciate, like the real ones, is that as Idris had, Dr. Idris had mentioned, they do um, are interested in you. Those that matter will truly be interested in you, and you do not have to be fake, you know, for yes. them to be interested in you. Yes. Yeah. 
I was just going to add that going to school in the United States or abroad in general is not just about for the academics and experience. And yep. you, know, you really should take advantage of the experience. So there's no better way for you to really have an experience other than being in a campus environment of 20, 20 30, 40,000 people and really take advantage of it. So be open-minded, go to different campus activities, especially right. during orientation. The all schools always have a bunch of different you know, orientation activities. Take advantage of that. Build networks from with people from different countries, so the international students. Yeah. But also be very intentional about building relationships with the Americans as well. Yeah. And you know, really learn about the American system. Learn about the system because that's what really going to allow you to thrive really help you understand the system is going to allow you to do well academically as well. So right. uh, oftentimes you find, you know, international students that, you know, the Nigerians that want to, you know, be strictly want to affiliate with the Africans, you mm-hmm. know, that, you know, mm-hmm. you're in an international community, you know, so take advantage of the resources that are available to you. Right. And I totally agree with everything else that Sheila said about leadership opportunities, extracurricular activities. I think all of that just adds to the experience for you. Right. Thank you both so much for, for that. You know, this is something I wish someone told me when we came here. We actually just had to, you know, realize that and discover that when you go to apply for a program or a job and they're like, um, letter of recommendation. And you're like, Oh oh my goodness, who do I know? You start asking yourself, like, who do I know who can say something good about me? You know? So the earlier you start making those relationships, the better, you know, now still on the matter of culture shock, you know, I mean, of course there's always that homesickness, you know, and you miss all the good food back home. You miss the lifestyle, the nightlife, you miss everything. And like, so how did you, I mean, reconnect, how did you reconnect or or at least, you know, cope with that homesickness and the culture shock and the change in the environment. I mean, for me, I tried to, I mean, I knew a few other Africans that were in town, but not necessarily my school. And I tried to connect with them I on social media and stuff like that. You know, I mean, every now and then some of my older friends who have been here for a while, you know, they can invite me or pick me up because I didn't have a car <laughs> to pick me up from school. I was in the dormitory, you know, pick me up and I eat some Cameroonian food every now and then, you know, or at least I, I try to, we didn't really have like an African organization. I believe it's the African student association. Yeah. We didn't have that as like, it wasn't really because like I said, actually a lot of the international students that were in my school at that time were from South Korea. Like it could be like maybe just 10 of us or even less that were from, you know, Africa. So it was a very, it was an interesting school, honestly, (laughs) but you know, it was hard. So actually I had a lot of friends who were in their own, they were like in other public universities that had a bigger population size and a bigger African population size that they had their African student associations. And I was always, you know, going there and trying to network with those Africans and just like, you know, keep in touch with my roots. Cause especially being in a community like that, where, you know, not many people came from where I came from. It's very easy to lose touch of your values, your background, like your tradition, you know? So it's something that I felt like, you know, in order for me to maintain that, you know, to really reconnect with those people as well as I also do, you know, the Westerners or the Americans or people from different countries. So I'll start with you, Dr. Sheila. How did you cope with all of that? Um, being homesick. Yeah, I was very homesick in, um, when I just moved to the U.S. And I, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I cried a lot at the beginning. <laughs> <I did. laughs> 
like a fair amount of time. I mean, I cried, you know, and that helped me because initially when I was younger, crying would help me feel better. Right. So, um, <laughs> so I did that. But also um, I had my, I had two siblings in the U.S. I had Christelle, my older daughter. She was in Buffalo, New York. I had my older brother, Marco. He was in Michigan. So when I had vacations, I would go see them. I was in North Carolina when I moved to the U.S. So there wasn't. I was in Chapel Hill specifically. There wasn't a huge Cameroonian or African community. So um, in terms of like getting Cameroonian food or African food, that wasn't really a thing for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I had met this Cameroonian family when I just moved, but they lived so far. So I didn't get to, I would see them like once or twice a semester. So of course, within North Carolina, I would say I didn't have like a strong community Mm -hmm. and that was tough my family was my strongest community like I would fly to them or speak to my parents or my close friends like all the time and get to see this family that I could see which I'm still in touch with them I love them Mm -hmm. twice or so but there is this one person that I hope I don't cry when I talk about him that actually touched my heart when I was in college so he's a cab driver actually when I moved to the U.S., like, when my parents accompanied me, they used that cab driver while they were here, but then they left, of course, you know. And this cab driver, he was Nigerian. He was a lot older than me, so I think he took me like his daughter. Aww. He would cook for me. Like, he would cook plantains and just, like, Nigerian food and bring it to my dorm as often as he could. Aww. And so... um that was very sweet of him. So I know. he wasn't a family member, but to this day, that cab driver, I count him as like someone who I would never forget because as mo- whenever he could, he would bring stuff to me, you know? Right. And so still now, it's what, many years since I left undergrad, but I'm still in touch with him because he did leave a positive impression on me. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that heartfelt story. I mean, I mean, for those who have never really been in our shoes, like, just those little acts of kindness go a very long way, man. Like they go a very long way because international <laughs> students for the most part are usually always broke and miserable, <laughs> you know? So just even a little bit of a lunch or, you know, just some, even if it's fast food or even if, I mean, I remember like a friend, friends of mine that just, just one trip that they came and took me from the dormitory, just leaving the, the premises of the dormitory. It was like, Oh my goodness, I'm free. Like, you know, it, it meant so much to me, you know? So, I mean, I really want to thank you for, for sharing that and i also want to hopefully that story encourages other people to do same for those who are you know in yeah. need you know <laughs> and it's beyond the money i would say it's even not about the money because i remember that guy like i'll be like i will pay you for these services he's like no i don't want money you know and he would drive me around and he was older you know like yeah for free i'm like I oh my goodness girl you, you were you were like, <laughs> you were living you. and he was like no so you're like I'm not even giving you refusing for me to pay you for everything you're doing. And you're a lot older, you know, and it's not like he was hitting on me on anything. Yeah. No, he you know, just, just wanted like to help out of his good heart, you know? So, wow. Wow. That's nice. Like what that, a... that I can see. I have not met anyone else like that. old guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Those are hard to find. Believe me. <laughs> what about you, Dr. Idris? Uh, I would say I was very fortunate. You know, like I said, I had a family friend that lived in Toledo. And, yeah. You know, my guardian and anytime I was homesick I you know I went to their house and eat you know pounded yam and oh my goodness lucky you <laughs> um, you know uh they had you know young men who you know they're my brothers and you know would hang out would go out and you know when initially just like you my my parents made me come here with like literally nothing in terms of clothing so, yeah <laughs> you know, and you know create like help me like 
figuring out things to buy, good deals and whatnot and whatnot. But aside from that, though, I think that, you know, it's important for people to understand that they can have different cycles of friends. So when I was on campus, I made it, I, I tried to make it an effort to know every African that I possibly could know. Yeah. And, and you know, it all came from me hearing about somebody that's, you know, African and I'll figure out who they are and get yeah. to know them. And then from that person, know who they are, the African that they know and they know. So I really, you know, for my first semester, I really got to try to know as many Africans as possible. Mm-hmm. Through the course of all of that, I actually found that there was, you know, one of my friends who I was in school with in Lagos. Her sister was also in school at Toledo. Oh, nice. Her sister was a master's in public health major in Toledo. And she also had a circle of a lot of friends. I mean, the same circle. I know, you know, you know Elsie, right? Elsie, Morayor, and all these. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so they're essentially like, you know, anytime they had any Nigerian activity going on on campus, they would invite me and, you know, that's. But the struggle was I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a cell phone. Yeah, yeah. But anyone to get a hold of me would either send me a Facebook message. So I have to, you know, once in a while, long into Facebook, like, who's trying to get a hold of me? Or call my dumb phone, which I was never. (laughs) You're never in the dumb. It was very, very hard for anyone to get a hold of me. Right. Uh, but certainly, like just like I said, it's okay for you to have different circles of friends. You can have your African friends for you to, you know, feel homey. If you, if you feel like you're homesick, you can, you know, hang out with them. You know, obviously, a bunch of my, you know, African friends want to go play soccer. We'll play soccer with them. We'll mm-hmm. argue about football. We'll watch football together. I mean, you know, but, you know, I also had, you know, friends that that were in my major. If I wanted to go study, I will study with them. Yeah. Uh, like different circles of friends and, you know, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Actually, that that's very interesting because when you mentioned about the phone, you know, it reminded me about the struggles that we went through to keep in touch with our family back home. <laughs> I mean, right now you have WhatsApp, you have everything. Back then you had the calling cards. Like, first of all, you need to get a right to go to the store to get a calling card and not all calling cards were used to call Africa. Like there were no online, there was no, there were no apps or anything of that sort. Like you had to struggle and get a calling card and then you get a calling card for your little $5 and you talk for like two and a half minutes and it's done. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) you're like, what is going on? You know, I I mean, I was the only one who was buying the calling cards at the gas station. I I know. know, Like I was the only person who was buying it. And then you call and the network is bad and then you like, I know. And then you call back and the entire five of us. Right. I know. You're like, where did that money go to? You know, like you're literally trying to manage the small money you have. I mean, it was so, oh my God, it was so miserable. At least, thank God, my parents really put in an effort to call like every weekend because, of course, they didn't know our schedule during the week. So every weekend, at least I tried to call them and stuff like that. But of course, when they saw my call, they know I'm I'm asking for something, you know? (laughs) It's like, I need something, you know? But, Man, it was a struggle. I mean, times have changed, man. Like, I mean, Place when I like said experience is different, it's totally different. Times have definitely changed. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let's talk about the moolah expenses. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. I mean, international studies definitely are not cheap. And most of us are fortunate to have made it, honestly. I mean, it's just by the grace of God, you know, and provision, you know. But not everyone can really say the same, you know. In my own experience... 
there was actually always this looming sense of guilt over my head like and that pressure that I always felt like I have to succeed I have to succeed like I mean I started in a private school that was mad expensive like my peers who were in public schools were paying like half the tuition I was paying and that private school they didn't offer any in- scholarships for international students nothing so I always had that immense pressure of like, I have to, even if this is not what I want to do, I just have to make sure that at least I give my parents that degree that they sent me here for. That's the least I could do, you know? So it was, it was really very challenging. And with all the pressure and trying to adjust to the new environment and the culture shock and everything, you still had that guilt and that pressure that you had to do well, you know? So, I mean, I even had to, my first semester, thankfully, my dad had a friend in that school who was a teacher. He was actually a chemistry teacher. And he gave me a job to work as a lab assistant in the chemistry lab. And at least I was making a little bit of, you know, money here and there. And I was also mentoring other students at a certain department in that school. So that's how I was actually making some some money. But, you know, there's that huddle with international students here in America where you cannot work out of campus. The only time, the only way that you can work is on campus. And imagine if there's like at least 100 international students on campus, like is that one job that 100 people are trying, probably trying to fight for, you know, because coming here, they assume that you're coming here strictly for studies. You have to be a a full-time student and you're not supposed to work out of campus because you didn't come to this country to work. You don't have an H-1B visa. You have an F-1 visa, which is for studies. So it was very, very hard to even try to relieve that stress off of my parents because there was not much I could do to help, you know. So the least I could do was just to make sure that I don't mess up in school, right? So I don't know, how was it for you both? Like, you know, how did you manage those expenses and make ends meet? So Mr. Idris, (laughs) Dr. Idris, sorry. Thank thank God for our parents and our family. I mean, that's that's really it. I mean, we're extremely, I always, you know, have this conversation with my wife and, you know, friends and having, not having any, financial debt from education student it, loans it, yeah up, it really really sets you up really nicely mm-hmm. for the rest of your life in this country so it's just like a lot of gratitude to our family to yeah. for this support. Uh, just like you it's a lot of guilt you know it's like you know yes come from i would say fortunate uh but still in in being fortunate it's it's never easy right especially when yeah. you have you know, a bunch of siblings are also going to school mm-hmm. overseas and when you also come from a country that has a very unstable economy where the naira to dollar rates just fluctuate so drastically. I think yeah. When I was starting uh, school, I think the exchange rate was like 100 naira to a dollar or something like that, 120 to a dollar. Mm-hmm. When I finished, it was getting close to 300. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, so so it just like all of those things play a huge factor into where your money is coming from. And yeah. Yes, it was guilt. It was a lot of pressure. It was the pressure from the academic perspective, the pressure of, you know, what can I do to make this better, uh, to, you know, to relieve some of this uh, financial burden from family. But I, my fam- family, never, they never complain, right? They always tell you that whatever you need, call, provide, and whatnot. And it's not really yeah. that. But it's just you just putting that additional pressure on yourself. But, you know, I... As soon as I could try to get a job, my first job was my first semester in college. I was an international student's orientation ambassador. Nice, uh, yeah. I signed up for it because I actually didn't know I was going to get paid for it. And <laughs> I, got, I got paid for it. I think that's how I got my first mobile phone. <laughs> uh, I used that money to get my first mobile phone. I was able to, you know, at least set up for like a, a plan for, uh, for, for a mobile phone. And then after that, you know, I... Uh, 
I became a resident advisor. At least that took away the cost of living from yeah. uh, my the tuition doors. and continued to look into, you know, scholarship opportunities. I found it like quite, you know, it didn't sit well with me that I didn't have any scholarship. Right. You know, when I knew that, you know, some of the other schools that I had applied to, I received scholarship, which made me feel like, there was something that I didn't do well in my two-year application mm-hmm. because, again, I wasn't well-informed when I was completing the application. So I continued to talk to the Office of International Students uh, to see if, you know, I could get some of that international scholarship that will waive my out-of-state tuition. Out-of-state tuition, yeah. And fortunately, I, I pushed and pushed and finally got it. So that was another huge financial relief. So Right. Um, and, yeah, just continue to find ways that I can, at least if it's, the cost of living, pocket money doesn't have to come from home. All home has to worry about was just the tuition. You know, the tuition was still a lot of money, but I felt decent enough that I was contributing in some sense to relieve that burden. But it is a lot of pressure. You know, it's it's expensive. Yeah. You know, it's not easy to pay 30, 35, 40 or more thousand dollars yearly out of pocket. I yeah. Mean, it, it's it's no joke, and I think what we don't what we also don't talk about it. That's just the cost of tuition. So if you're mm-hmm. paying living expenses, that's an additional cost. If you're paying your parents are going to come visit you, that's an additional yeah. cost. Yeah, if you had to get a car, yeah, got to get a car, and all those different different other things just adds up. So yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's very true. I mean, I remember because when I came to America and I went to the first school, I actually spent two years there, and then I moved to you know, Toledo, that's when I met Idris, you know. So we both, I remember moving to Toledo, I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, the the tuition was literally like 50% of what I was paying before, but I was like, man, I need, this is a public school. Like I need, I need some kind of scholarship or something, you know, like there's no way. I mean, I know the private school, yeah, they have their ways and stuff, but there's no way I couldn't get like, you know, some kind of thing. So I also looked into that out of state tuition that was waived and that really helped. It brought my, my, my tuition even lower, you know, that was such a great help that the school offered, you know, and I also, I I think I was also one of the international student ambassadors. I remember we were picking up the students from the airport. We're driving like the big vans. (laughs) We were, I could barely, I mean, back then it's like, I just learned how to, I, I drove, I'd been driving for like a year and we had to drive like big vans and we waited like in front of the airport with a sign and then the international students came and then we received them and then we had to drop them in the dorms and stuff like that. So that was very interesting, honestly. It really was. But those are the little things we did, huh? It wasn't just from a job's perspective. You know, when I saw when I signed up to be an international student's orientation ambassador, I wasn't expecting to get paid for it because that was my way of giving back. Giving back, yeah. I was, I mean, pleasantly surprised I was getting paid for it. At least I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to that. Check. Right, right. But, you know, it felt like it was something I was passionate about, and it was, it felt good to be getting paid for something that you were genuinely doing. Out doing of, out of, know, oh, I understand goodness. the struggles, but also I wanted to be a resource to Africans that were coming to Toledo as well. That's yeah. how I met a lot of like Africans that came after me. Yeah, you know, like I just want them to know that they have a resource. And I think it was when you guys, when you started at Toledo, it was when I decided to start the African Student Association. Yeah, the association, we yeah. We had an organization on campus, just letting people know that there's a community here. For you yeah, the yeah. You know, it's also good to have, you study medicine, okay, I have somebody 
that's from your country that's in the medical school. In medical school, so yeah. If someone from your country that's in engineering school, yeah. connect with this person, you guys can relate on a you know, very, very familiar basis. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. That's very, very true. And it all boils down as well to networking because, like I say, you can't go forward by yourself. Like, you have to always go forward as a group with, with your tribe, you know? There's always someone who knows someone who knows someone that could be of resource to you. So that's very important. So what about you, Dr. Sheila? Yeah, so just like both of you said, I thank God for our parents, you know, who did help a lot financially. They covered for everything, and I know it's a blessing, you know, um, which we would never take for granted, you know. Undergrad, I didn't work. I didn't get a job in undergrad. Mm -hmm. But what I did, because I knew it was challenging to get a job, what I mostly did, and I, again, I'm really grateful because I think he helped me to this day. I did a lot of extracurricular. I mean, I studied really hard. Mm-hmm. But the extra time I had, which I should, if I had to work, that time would have gone into work. I, I, I did like some leadership experience and which made me know people, helped me network, you know, like with the medical school. I joined like the minority association of like physicians and which made me start connecting with like medical students. At that time, I was an undergrad, but I started going to conferences for like current medical students, I started meeting with deans of admission while I was in undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, So that helped me a lot. And I remember during my junior year of college, I had this organic chemistry teacher who walked up to me. She was like, hey, Sheila, I want you to do research with me because I would thank God I was doing well in her class. So she was going to pay me. And I was so happy about that, excited to get my first job. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a week before we start the job, she walks up to me. She's like, hey, this is an NIA grant. Like, I can hear an accent. Are you, where are you from? Like, are you a U.S. citizen? And I'm like, no, I'm an international student. And she's like, unfortunately, this grant cannot oh, pay anyone on goodness. the side. You know, I was, I was excited to get my first paycheck I was like my gosh I'm gonna start getting real money but I could not get paid so I spoke with my parents and I was like hey this is this opportunity I won't be able to work I won't be able to do it because I need to get paid and again thank God for our parents they were like it's okay to do it for free you know and so I went and met this lady of course I was like yeah I'm working for free but what's in there for me you know I was like this is organic chemistry I can get a letter of recommendation from this lady you know am I gonna pass up this opportunity because I'm not going to get paid or am I going to seize this opportunity, work for free, but get a letter of recommendation in return. So fortunately I worked, I didn't get paid, but I worked. And later on, she wrote my letter of recommendation for grad school when I got my master's in public health. But even like three years later, when I, or two years later, when I came back, I was like, Hey, can you write another letter of recommendation for med school? And this lady At that time, she was the chair of the Department of Organic Chemistry. Mm -hmm. And by the Mm -hmm. time I was applying for med school, she had moved to Duke University. And she was actually like a dean of like the sciences or whatever. So even if I didn't get paid, that experience was worth more than the money I would have received at that time. Right. But um, when I went to grad school, I did get a job. And that was to like read research articles and like synthesize it. So um, at that point, I could get a job that could actually that I could actually get paid for. Wow. And then as we, we all mentioned that our parents helped us, but even if your parents cannot like pay the really expensive tuition, because we all recognize that it's really expensive. Yeah. There are so many scholarship opportunities at, as Dr. Idris mentioned. Mm-hmm. And as both Dr. Fombat and Dr. Idris mentioned, there are opportunities to work on campus. You know, right. like they both mm-hmm. had great jobs on campus and you can still make ends meet. It's going to be tough, but there yeah. are jobs available on campus. 
Yeah, and and also I want to add to that, like you know, the jobs will not meet you. You have to go out and ask, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, you you know, even when you if you if you are doing good in a subject, you know, and the teacher, you know, go, try to be friends with that teacher and ask yeah, them, like, really. is there anything I can do to help? Right? Yeah, yeah. all about networking, Network. like you said. Yeah, because sometimes there are opportunities that there are opportunities yeah. that are, are just sitting there, but we yeah. don't have that. It's not in our yeah. culture to yeah. go after yeah. it. Right. Go ask. It's okay to ask. Even if you feel like, my gosh, why would I be asking? Go ask. Like yeah. there is that budget somewhere that's gonna pay you. you right. Know? And I didn't know that initially. Right. Do you want to add something, Idris? No, I was just gonna really, you know, really emphasize what uh, Sheila said about networking. I I can't imagine being where I am today without network. And right. It's extremely, extremely crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly, yes, take advantage of those all of those networking opportunities on campus, and specifically when it comes to your field. Uh, you know, be very, very, very intentional about networking with people within your field, right? And outside of campus as well, like Sheila said, going to conferences. I know mm-hmm. it can get very expensive, mm-hmm. but you know, by being part of organizations within your campus can provide some level of funding for you to yeah. go to the okay. Yes. I mean, you know, Dr. Fumbad was a vice president or president of Snapper back in the day. Oh my goodness. <laughs> don't open, don't, don't, don't bring back those memories. <laughs> you know, you know, certainly knows like there's, there's yeah. funding to help support funding. students to go to some of these conferences. So yeah. that's, that's something that I also spent a lot of my time doing on campus was networking, you know, yeah. but like, Wherever there was an opportunity for me to be a part of an organization, I mean, I felt like it was something that I believed in. It was it had a purpose that that aligned with what I what I believed in. I would go to the meetings and see what they're all about and, and mm-hmm. uh, be part of it. And uh, you know, especially when, when I got into pharmacy school, I was very very involved in various pharmacy organizations and right. really helped me out throughout my career. Wow. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, talking about that, like I can really attest to that, uh, Dr. Idris, because I've always known you to be that one person, you know, who was always very active and very active, especially in the things that you were passionate about. Like even to today, if I have any issue, professional issue or something like that, or I need to talk to someone that knows someone, Idris is literally like number one person to go to. Like Idris always knows someone (laughs) who knows someone that knows someone, you know? And I mean, this is not the first time that you didn't start this today. Like for as long as I've known you, it's like, it's always been, you know, you've always been participating and you've always been a leader in most of these organizations. And, you know, that brings me to my next, you know, not question, but just next topic that I really wanted to talk about, because there's really some, I would say a virus between us in our African community that we're so stuck up and used to how things have been back home that when we see other people that are trying to not follow the status quo, people that are trying to to take their own path and start something, it's like we don't seem to accept that like often, you know. And what I mean is as international students, you know, we have this, you know, we, we kind of knew what we wanted to do. Right. But then, you know, you had other 
professions that were easier per se, you know? So now you have even our own people, you have all these voices in your head and in your ears, like, oh, take a quicker route. Like, why are you stressing your parents out? Why are you going to all these organizations? Why are you trying to not be one of us? Like, why are you trying to only be like them? And them mean like, you know, the other cultures and stuff or the other, like just the other people who are not Africans, you know? Oh, just, I mean, I know pharmacy is shorter than medicine, like the whole pharmacy learning experience. Cause I mean, yeah, pharmacy and medicine is four years, but then medicine with the residency and everything, it ends up being almost 10 years, but you know, pharmacy at the most would be like six years, right? With two year residency, but it's just like, oh yeah. And then now you come to nursing, nursing. I don't even know how many years that is total because I don't think they do residency and stuff. Maybe it's like four, like for the RN and then the BSN, you know, but it's like, oh, why don't you do nursing? Why do you? have to do go through all that stress and do pharmacy or why don't you just do this why don't you just do that you know so it's like you have all those people that are even older than you people that you probably used to look up to and then they come and confuse you on Mm -hmm. you know they kind of shake your foundation on why you even came to america like that story you were telling people in the embassy it's like (laughs) you're trying so hard to follow through with that story but you have all of these distractions in your ear and they come from the people that you love and you look up to you know and it's very easy for you to take that easy route right and just take the quick money stop putting your parents through especially when you're under that pressure and you see how much your parents are suffering it's like you always want to to complete it and complete school faster and help them back, you know, but you know, you tend to see that your own people will look at you weird or funny because you are being overly ambitious in their own, in their language. You know what I mean? And I feel like it's something that we have to be very, very cautious about, especially in the African community. And I don't know if you guys have any kind of words of advice or even share your experiences on things like that, because I have had people tell me, Oh, I should have done nursing. Or, I mean, I feel like the only reason why I was literally still on my pharmacy journey was because my dad, especially was very adamant about me not doing anything else. That was a shortcut. Like, he was like, if you came to do pharmacy, do pharmacy. Or there was a time I even wanted to do medicine too, because I was also taking classes for pre-med. But like with the struggles of getting into med school as an international student, I mean, that's a story for another day that we will revisit. But that's the only thing that hindered me. But I knew that it was pharmacy or nothing, you know. So I, I don't know if you guys had that kind of experience or what you can say about that. Yeah, so it's very challenging. Like, it's challenging when you come here. And as Anya, you mentioned, Dr. Combat, you mentioned, like, it's a long route to end up doing pharmacy or medical school. I always wanted to be a doctor from the age of seven. So very, very few things could this Only failure, I believe, could actually dissuade me from, like, continuing on that trajectory. So when I came to the U.S., I was so determined to, um, you know, still continue on that medical school route. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were challenges. At some point in undergrad, I think my second year, I, men- I keep on mentioning, like, I was in the wrong crowd. So that really affected my grades. And that was the first time where I doubted my my ability to get into med school. First of all, period, just get into med school. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm like, I am an international student. Like, I just need to forget about this thing, you know? Yeah. And then I just, like, got back up. You know, like, we learn about resilience, you know, like, real quick. Because you're like, hey, I came to do this. This yeah. is what I want to do. And... I always ask myself, and to this day, 
like if you had to do this all over again like that's a question i started asking myself i think once i had that roadblock in undergrad you know i started reading all these personal development type of books at that point because i was like my gosh i'm reconsidering my life and all of that right and so from that point i always asked myself and that kept me going like if you had to do this all over again what would you do mm-hmm. and the answer was always medicine you know because i kept on saying hey i'm so passionate about that i felt like from the from my young age, that was my purpose in life, to do medicine. Yeah. So I would say that kept me going more than anything else, you know. Even when I encountered challenges, roadblocks, I read this book by Ben Carson. I forget the title. So I actually read a lot of his books at that time where I had stumbled, you know. And I was like, my gosh, this guy also stumbled at some point in his life. That was before, like, he got he got into, <laughs> into politics. politics. Oh, that's crazy story. <laughs> At that point, I read his books and I was like, he was such an inspiration at that point before politics happened. Right. And when I would want to give up, I would think about his story, you know, and that would keep me going because I'm like, I want to do this medicine thing. It's true that it's challenging. It's true that they tell me that international students don't get into med school, Mm -hmm. but all Mm -hmm. I can do is to give my best and... As long as those who are supporting me, you know, because that one, my goal to be a doctor was my biggest motivator. And my parents, my family also, they were so supportive. And all of us are so blessed that, you know, our parents were like, whatever you want to do, like, as long as you do your part, we will do the rest, you know. Mm -hmm. And thank God they stayed true to their word till the very end. And so that kept me going. Of course, I had people tell me. That's too long. Like, especially when I got my master's from Hopkins, they were like, oh, but you got a master's at Hopkins. Why do you want to go to med school? I'm like, well, because I want to do med school, you know, and that's my dream. I want to do it. So, and my parents were very supportive. But funny enough, even those you would hear like funny feedback from would be partners, you know, from um, romantic relationships, you know. I remember um, one of my partners at some point who was like my biggest flaw was that I was ambitious. It wasn't even family, you know, it was just like partners, of course, that you quickly end that relationship because you're like, (laughs) right? Like we don't see, we don't vibe the same way. (laughs) Like, oh, I can't really be with a doctor. I'm like, all right, great. Then I can be with you too, you know? Right. so all of that to say, um, I had to stay true to myself. You know, I've yeah. said that so many times. That yes. was my goal. That was my dream. And I had to stay true to that. And thank God, um, those who supported me were right. willing to walk the walk with me. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. What about you, Dr. Idris? Uh, I feel like I have very little else uh, to add to that. Um, <laughs> I think that the journey in healthcare is not easy. And it's, it's certainly not easy. Mm-hmm. Being an international student makes it a whole lot more difficult. And I think we've touched on this a lot throughout the entire course of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, having a good support system is like, is important. Surrounding yourself with people that are very, you know, like you in terms of motivation, that'll keep you going. But also just having a good head on your shoulder is ex- also extremely important. A lot of times there are people that are going to doubt you, they'll, they'll doubt your abilities. Uh, it's important that you just continue to stay focused, stay true to your path and, you know, continue to try to push yourself. Uh, it's not easy. You know, there's going to be a lot of distractions and, you know, it's important yeah. to also note that everyone's story is different. You know, yeah. when we went to school, there are people who were, may have been interested in pursuing residency after pharmacy school, but, you know, their financial situation would not allow them to do it. Yeah, you know, that's to, true. You know, just get a job and so they can start to provide for their families. So. Mm-hmm. Everyone's story is also is also quite different. But for those who have, they don't have any other constraints of 
pursuing their goals mm-hmm. other than people that are doubting them without, you know, trying to distract them. I would say just stay true to your goal. You know, like Sheila said, be very resilient in your goals and continue to push forward. There's always going to be bumps along the road, but Mm -hmm. as long as you uh, know why you want to do what you want to do and continue to push forward, I think there's always, you know, the outcome is always going to be good. Right, right. I totally agree. And I just wanted to add to that too, because even the people who, you know, most of these people who are part of your tribe or part of your circle, they probably are, they have the best interest. No one is going to give you advice because they want you to fail per se. You know what I mean? But it's like, if you want to advise someone about, you know, what they should do or what they shouldn't do, first of all, let that person come to you to ask advice, you know, like don't just enforce things you know right you know and you know we have this way right and we have this way of communicating with one another that you know i've mentioned that a lot in a lot of episodes before we have a very insensitive way we don't show empathy when communicating with people especially people that are younger than us you know it's like an order you don't really try to look at this get into this person's word and see where they're coming from you know i mean if i want to do whatever course i mean and i'm not even against any of these professions like i believe everyone is doing something because they want to do it and this an ultimate goal that has motivated them to pursue that you know so just even recognizing that and respecting that before you try to give your own input makes a huge difference just because you succeeded as a doctor or pharmacist or nurse or engineer does not mean everybody can you know so we have to be more sensitive when trying to, you know, advise one another or advise people who are looking up to us too. Because, you know, when you give those kind of advices, like a sensitive, insensitive way, in, in an insensitive way of speaking as well, like it, it also messes with them emotionally. And even like it messes, it gets them confused because it's like, I look up to this person. If they're telling me this, especially people who have been here longer than the international student, because I will look up to you because I feel like you have more experience with the American system. You can better advise me. But if you're advising me not based on where I'm coming from, but based on where only you are coming from and also based on your own experience and excluding my own experience, then it doesn't really help the situation, you know? So at the end of the day, being true to yourself is extremely very, very important. Like Dr. Sheila said as well. I was just going to add that it's important that you are careful about who you're seeking advice from. Right, right. right. Um, Getting advice from people who haven't been in your shoes or who haven't been in in your journey Mm. Uh, can be extremely misleading. dangerous. Yeah. For example, you know, when I was when I decided to pursue residency, mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be something that was because my family was looking forward to me being done with school. They were also yeah, <laughs> they were like, "When is that money coming in?" perspective, but also feeling bad for me of how much studying I had done. Right? Yeah. But I, I knew that my my decision to pursue residency, all I was seeking for my family was just support, right? Is that this is what I want to do. I just want you to support me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to get advice from my family because no one is really in healthcare in my family. Right. So, you know, getting that, expected to get advice from my family members was going to be, you know, it wasn't going to be fair to them that they want to be the ones to mentor me through this journey. True. Right? So you have to look outside of family for you to get people to advise you on how to navigate this whole journey of 
you know, pursuing postgraduate training. Even in finding mentors, you may find mentors that will doubt you and say, yeah. you know, you may not make it, you know, or you don't have the credentials to make it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. Again, it's just staying true to yourself and knowing your abilities and knowing that, yes, along the road, you may encounter some failures, but again, you bounce back. You know, right, you right. Back and push it. And I think all of us, we have all our individual stories where we failed. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> you have to, you know, dust the failure right. off. Right. Right. When you talk about folks that are older in the community, I think it's also important that they don't recognize that things have changed. Yep, that's the true. The navigating journey, even in the United States, has, has changed. Yeah. Oftentimes, I look back and I say, you know, if I were to do things over, would I pursue the same career path? Certainly, yes. But in pursuing the same career path, I will also be open-minded to exploring different options. Different options, like, yeah. You know, acquiring additional skills in addition to having a professional career. Yeah. yeah. If it's photography, if it's yeah. how to prepare, if it's how to fix things. Like, yeah. There are skill sets that come in very handy that mm-hmm. you can have you know, additional source of income or additional source yeah. of, you know, doing other things. So Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. You just made a very good point in terms of skill sets because one of my greatest sources of income when I was an undergrad was doing people's hair. I was braiding hair. And I remember, you know, growing up, my parents made sure that, I mean, we, we never, we did well in school. So my parents never sent us to holiday classes because it was a waste of their money. And we didn't need to go to additional classes during the holidays. But what they did, they made sure for us to do was each holiday, we had to learn a skill. Right from, I remember when I was still in primary school, I wasn't even 10 years old, when computers were still like being introduced, they signed us up for computer classes. And then like the next year we went for like, my sister and I went to learn how to sew. My brother went to learn how to shave hair. You know, the next year we did tennis. The next year and conse- uh, consecutive years we did like music. And then when I, right before I was coming to the US, they sent me to go and learn how to braid hair. And back then, you know, you, we looked down on the hair braiders, right? You see like hair braiders are people who are not educated and stuff like that. Like they just left primary school or they didn't have degrees and they just went to go and do hair. That's how we looked at it back then, which was very ignorant by the way. But you know, I, I felt embarrassed to be doing hair because I didn't want people to be like, man, this girl just had like all five eight papers in A-level and she's like doing hair, you know? But that really helped me. That tremendously helped me when I was in college because I always did people's hair and they would pay me $100. They'll pay me $80. Like I had my customers, you know, just having that additional source of income, man, like it meant everything. And if I didn't have those skills, I definitely would not have, I don't know how I would have been able to get that extra money. So it's very important to also learn a lot of extracurricular skills before coming to, you know, to, to the university. And even while doing that, you know, even along the way, you know, as Dr. Idris said, you know, learning life skills, learning other skills, like, yeah, you're doing pharmacy, but you may find yourself in a situation where you can benefit from an IT course or IT project and stuff like that, you know? So all those things really add up. It's not only a about going to school and coming back home like there other factors play towards your success and now talking about success i mean three of us are obviously i would call us successful because we made it yay (laughs) we made it through the adversity and through those times you know (laughs) hey you you made it oh no i didn't make it yet (laughs) well hey at least we're better off than you know we're better off than where we started right so, so basically, 
I mean, of course we have grown and we have learned to be independent and all of those things. And it's, 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 it's been such a journey, you know? So, you know, overall, what did being an international student really teach you about survival and independence? So Dr. Idris, I'll let you go first. I, I think that it's really pushed me beyond my own limits. I think being an international student has really allowed me to mature quicker. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had to put myself in very uncomfortable situations and knowing not knowing what to expect, what, what the outcome is going to be, but just trusting, having faith and, and, you know, trusting that whatever it is, there's something in it for me to learn. Right. You know, one thing I was going to add to the conversation we just had having was on, on a podcast a while back. And if one of a pharmacists actually used this analogy of a mentor versus a sponsor, mm. and I think that's important for you to have both, right? Mm. You have yeah. someone that you can, on a date and a frequent basis, you receive that mentorship from, but you also have someone like, like Sheila mentioned that, organic chemistry teacher who now seems to be a sponsor for her mm-hmm. who's going to make a phone call and say i know sheila she's an excellent person like she'll be an asset to your program right you know someone that's going willing to do something that you you, you never thought someone would be able to do that for you right and i've always had those individuals in my career and i think it's extremely essential for you to have that more importantly for you to have them as an international student because you have more hurdles that you may have to overcome so having people that are in you know, in places that will speak for you behind closed doors, that will advocate for you behind closed doors. Yeah, so maturity has allowed me to mature, you know, faster. I've also benefited immensely from all the people that I've met, you know, from we talked about networking. You know, I feel like I have really enjoyed learning from different people's experiences and mm-hmm. it also helped shape me as a, as an individual shape my character and the way I approach things in life and just having a, a very positive outlook on things and knowing that failure is just part of the journey. Right. Know? Right. Journey. You know, as long as you have that perspective of, especially when you're in a, in a difficult challenge and discipline, like we yeah. are, it's, it's, it's very, very, it's something you got to get used to. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Gotta be open to failing and learning from that experience. Right. Learning, using that, to, to, you know, skill set that you learn from the experience to get better in the future. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, talking about failure, I feel like that's one inevitable thing that is very important and necessary for growth. Like we all can, we have at least one story in our life, especially as international student that we failed at some point or in something. And I just want to use this opportunity to give a huge shout out to our support systems, like our parents, especially our families, because man, I can't count how many times I almost gave up, how many times that when I failed, I was so discouraged. But my parents, my mom, man, like my dad, like they kept gaslighted, like they kept you know, pushing me forward. Like I would literally be hanging off of a string and they would literally put their hands below to support me, whether financially with advice, they'll call me every day, you know, make sure that I'm good and make sure that at least I have my mental health. It's okay. You know, I mean, a lot of things could be really overwhelming, especially when you're in a system that does not really support international students like that. It's like you have to fight back against the system. So it's very important. I mean, some people, their support system is not their family or it's not their parents, but it's very important to also have that support system where you can always fall back on if all else fails. So yeah. What about you, Dr. Sheila? 
Yeah, um, you both touched on, you know, almost everything I would have said. Um, just like all of you mentioned, like um, one of the biggest things I learned moving to the U.S. was resilience. Actually, at the end of medical school, I thought about one word that would describe all of my experiences and resilience was that word I came up with. Because as you all mentioned, like we failed. Oh, I failed, you know, like I encountered like stumbling blocks. I failed too. <laughs> that just made us that made me stronger and i would it would just it just makes me think back about the cameroonian system where you i thought that failure is the end of the world you know yeah but actually that's not true it's okay to fail the number of people i've met like the number of successful people i've met who have failed guys it's yeah unbelievable. so it's totally okay to fail all you need to do the biggest failure is not getting back up mm-hmm. but if you can get back up and keep on going that's like success, yeah you know so totally resilience would be the first thing. Mm-hmm. And then independent be the second thing. You know, my first semester I mentioned to you that actually I was tearing up at some point. It was tough, you know. Mm-hmm. But by the second semester, let me tell you guys, I was already a babe in my co- I mean, I like, <laughs> knew my way around, you know. <laughs> right? I was such an independent person. I knew my way around. Like, my parents would talk to me and they were like, oh my gosh, like you've grown so much, you know, because you have to grow up. You yeah. know, you cannot. You cry baby you have to keep moving yeah and so it taught me how to do things on my own i knew that for some things i couldn't do on my own i needed my parents but wherever i could do things myself i tried to learn those skills just so i could do it myself right and then the other thing i would say which we've all talked about so i'm not gonna elaborate on that would be you know networking in cameroon people talk about networking but in a negative way you know yeah. because i've heard about networking in cameroon in a negative way but let me tell you, as we all have said, it happens in the world, you know, like to get to the next step, you got to network. Right. I'm just going to at that. Right. Thank you so much. But the last thing I was going to add is I appreciate the people that are in your corner along the way. So we talked oh, yes. about but, you know, just reflecting on people that gave me number, countless rides, you know. Yeah. Oh, yes, man. Those oh, rides. Bless <laughs> your friend. I still call him. In fact, right. his daughter wants to you get know, into med school. She should you know, right. People that we extend invitation to come. Hey, come to our family house for Thanksgiving. Come to oh, my goodness. Room. Yes. Bad that you're staying on campus by yourself for the holiday. So just really appreciate all those people that in your support system. And it's yes. not always just family, but yeah. along the journey, you're going to find genuine people that are going to be in your corner that yes. are going to continue to push you forward. So. Yeah, that, yeah, that's very true. Thank you guys so much. Now, what do you really think is important for future international students to know before they travel to the U.S.? If, if you had to say maybe one or two things, like what will you say? So let's start with uh, you, Dr. Sheila. Um, a couple of things. Life is not flashy in the U.S., you know. I oh, know yes. A lot of my <laughs> friends, you know, you watch all those movies, you see Kim Kardashian, you see all those people, they live the flashy life. But one thing you don't see is that all of these people, they work unbelievably hard. You see Beyonce, you love her crap. But she works 15 hours a day, you right. know, like whether it's working out, whether it's doing whatever, to be that successful so no, don't get fooled by what you see on TV. That's not how it is. Like you have to be ready to work really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. You have to be ready to fail and get back up. You have to be humble. Yeah. You know, oh yes. Teach you. Well, life <laughs> will humble you for sure. Oh my God, it's <laughs> you. And um, when you come to the U.S., just be open-minded, as everyone has said, you know, like, yes, you know what you might want to do. You know, fortunately, we all wanted to be, you know, pharmacies, doctors, and then we ended up doing that. But it's okay if you come to the U.S. and you're like, hey, I want to do this. 
But then you realize along the way that that's not your true passion. You wanted to yeah. do maybe because mm-hmm. your parents forced you to do it or, you know, someone forced you to do it. And so you change your mind. As long as it's what you, like, stay true to yourself. As long as it's something you truly want to do, just do it. Yeah. Like, for mm-hmm. me, I came in wanting to do biology. That's what I wanted to do. My parents didn't force me. But then I realized that I also wanted to do um, psychology. So I added that as a major and then I always say I wanted to be a doctor, but I also wanted to do public health because I want to do global health. And then I added that, you know, so it's okay to be flexible. Right. Thank you so much. All those skills. Yeah. What about you, Dr. Idris? Um, I would say, one, education in, in the U.S. is not easy. I feel like we're coming with this misconception that, oh, yeah, it's going to be easy. Like, you mm. know. It's a walk in the park. It certainly hasn't been a walk in the park for me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, So you're going to have some struggles academically. Try to spend a lot of time to figure out a system for you to succeed academically. The other thing is be open-minded. You know, like I said, it's an experience. And for you to really benefit the most from the experience, you have to be very open-minded and flexible. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think that open-minded to learning different things, different cultures and different systems and that would truly benefit you. Know, flexibility from the perspective of, like, like Sheila said, like life is going to take you, you're going to find different doors that are going to be open to you. And you really got to be able to, you know, decipher if you're going to go one way or the other way. But just be right. flexible in, in whatever direction life takes you. Right. And I want to add to that too, like be flexible, but stay focused because it's easy to end up doing too many things and then you end up doing nothing, you know? And then of course, that's actually when there's going to be that waste of your parents' money, you know? So be flexible, be very open-minded, but you have to stay focused and know exactly, know your end goal. You can do so many, you can take so many routes to the same end goal. So just try to make sure that you're focused on that end goal, right? So now let's talk about any projects that you guys have, especially that are geared towards you. You know, international students coming over to America. I mean, it's all about giving back and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if you guys want to talk about any things that not necessarily big projects, but any things that you're currently doing now that, you know, can inspire or help other international future international students that are coming to America and also how they can reach you guys. So Dr. Idris, do you have anything? I don't have anything particularly that I'm that I'm doing. I'm very big on mentorship. I don't have a specific like a platform. And if anyone finds me to be someone that can be resourced to any any individual, very right. open to having conversations with them. You know, they if they get a hold of me via this podcast, they can certainly reach out to you and get sure. my contact information from you. And I'm certainly open to you know having conversations with individuals and sharing my experiences and my insights as to how to navigate the journey. But sure. I don't currently have, it's, it's, uh, it's a goal of mine to have something in the future, but nothing uh, concrete at the moment. Sure. Thank you very much for that. And for all the listeners, I will definitely have Dr. Idris's contact information and Dr. Sheila as well. I will have both their contact information in the show notes and on the website as well. These are two extremely resourceful people and I highly recommend them, you know, for anything that especially that has to do with, you know, career development. Even if you are here already and you are either in medicine or pharmacy, career development for international students as well, just that experience and mentorship, you know, on any and everything. These are really two people that I will highly recommend so what about you dr sheila yeah so um i started this website last year where you know i'm i was i am an international student who got into medical school in the u.s as an international student and i understand the struggles and it was tough even just like finding the list of schools or even just believing that i could go there right 
percent of people told me I would not get into med school, you know, but thank God I did. So I started a website. It's www.chilanomd.com. And you can reach me at info at chilanomd.com to like um, talk more about it. But pretty much the purpose of this website, it's a consulting service where, you know, I talk about my experience. I pretty much mentor. I look at personal statements. I come up with a list of schools that accept international students, which was a struggle of mine. I didn't have that. Right. And then I also offer a mock interviews. And the services are free. So you right. can check that out so yeah that's what I've been working on and I just want to also mention I know we all have mentioned how our families have sponsored us you know Mm -hmm. but I also want to let all of the listeners know that if you don't have that as we all have mentioned there are scholarships I have like close friends who still got into law school like you know they excelled and they did well without having the financial support like they found ways to get scholarships even if you are an international student there are scholarships out there for international students. Right. Well, thank you so much. And you can really explore those options even while applying to schools before you actually, you know, gain admissions. I know a couple of friends who came to school in the U.S. on a full ride, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. There are are schools that, you know, I think it really is just being broad in your application. Yeah. And applying to a variety of different schools and, uh, again, having resources like the educational advising centers in your different countries can certainly yeah. give you more insight as to how to go about that whole process of, you know, finding schools that provide funding, how to make yourself competitive for funding. Mm-hmm. A lot of them would probably require very high, you know, grades in high school, but also SAT scores and, and mm-hmm. things of that sort. But um there are programs that will provide funding for you to right. go to school. And why, once you get here, you continue to find other opportunities for you to make. Obviously, you have to do well academically for you to maintain that funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while you're here, you can continue to you know, explore additional opportunities for you to uh, you know, obtain additional funding. You know, I'm sure you know, actually I talked about her experience, potentially going having an NIH grant. But you know, for, for master's programs, for example, you know, there are teaching assistant programs that... Search, all of that, yeah. yeah, so there are, there are a ton of resources that, yeah. again, it doesn't hurt to ask. It was yeah. what you know, you know, and you keep asking until potentially there's a yes that comes out of someone's mouth. So yeah. it doesn't hurt to ask. But if you don't ask, there's no way you can know what's, what's available to you. Right. And I want to add one last thing to that, or what you said, Dr. Idris and Dr. Sheila as well. Um, you know, there are a lot of opportunities out there, and there's we have to put a lot of emphasis on that broadening your, you know, your application because I know way back then, as I'm, and I'm sure it's even worse now, you know, with social media exposure and people like the flashy lies, a lot of us were looking at those cities that were popping, right? Like we want to, no one wants to go to Alabama or Mississippi, you know, <laughs> like you want to go to, I remember when my, my brother, he was like, it's either California or Florida, like, you know, Miami, LA, you know, you know, you want a school that's popping. You want a, a city that you can have fun and stuff like that that but unfortunately everybody else wants to go there right so the the chances that you will actually have those opportunities are very low but you have to broaden really broaden your options like explore all of those schools that i mean even if you want to don't only look at harvard for example right like look at other schools because believe me a degree from harvard and a degree from another school depending on the profession is this like no one cares you know so i mean 
Yeah, it's a good reputable school and stuff, but you should be able to make sure that if you're choosing a school as well, your bank account is like accommodating that choice, you know? So, scholarships. Uh, right, right. And the scholarships that they offer, you know, I'd rather go to a school down south in Albuquerque, you know, or something like that, you know, if I'm having a full ride, than to go to Harvard and then I pay, like I bankrupt my parents in the first year and then I'm out of status the second year, you know? So you just have to make sure that even if you want to be in Miami or Florida or whatever, believe me, you can always take a flight and go there and come back. Or you can end up being there when you're done with school. Hey, you don't know what opportunities in life will bring your way. You know, just, you know, there's always a way out. So don't be stuck up on, you know, social media is very easy to, to paint a picture. That's not actually it what it is you know so don't be stuck up on all these big cities and stuff like explore actually explore the smaller cities that have really good reputable universities that support international education and international students and stuff like that so i don't know if there's any last word that you guys have before we round up i always joke about this i always say that it'd be interesting to see how different my journey would be if i went to a big city for school right (laughs) I'm, I'm, I, I, I can tend to be very social, right? And right. Toledo you know, is just a very good atmosphere it's for me atmosphere. because there was not a whole lot to yeah, do. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot. That's so true. Like, we had our loop parties. We always went every time. The same people. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> if you want to go, sometimes we turn up in the library. You know right. I mean? <laughs> like, I remember back then, like, I had a lot of times we watch soccer in the library. Right. <laughs> You know, and I'm happy to go to the student union and watch soccer. You have a little computer in one little room and watch soccer with your friends. But, yeah. You know, uh, jokingly, yes, I do. I do kind of wonder what life would have been if I went to, like, school in D.C. or <laughs> Yeah. Or <laughs> right. What yeah. about you, Dr. It's, Sheila? Just a funny story also, like, Thank God, like when I got into med school, I got into a couple of schools and one of the places was Emory in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. so um, I ended up turning Emory. I mean, Pittsburgh was like, Pittsburgh is like a great med school. I'm glad I got there. But I turned down Emory. The main reason I was like, man, it's in Atlanta, you know. Right. <laughs> I do not know if I'm going to be so focused in Atlanta. And Pittsburgh was, that was, I was leaning towards Emory like, I thought I was going to go to Emory mm-hmm. and then I thought about it somewhere and I was like, Mm-mm. you know, like, let me just go to my quiet Pittsburgh and go to school. <laughs> and Pittsburgh was better ranked too. Right. So like, right. Hey, look at you now. Right. <laughs> like ranking didn't matter at that point. Cause I was like, I want to go to Emory. It's Emory. The CDC is next door. Yeah. Right. But I thought about it. I'm like, hey, dear, just carry yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, when you leave school, you go home, you study, you leave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in, when I, when I first came, I was in, like, Livonia, Michigan. Not many people even know where Livonia, Michigan is. The only thing that made that school, that city relevant was the small university that was there, honestly. That was the only, I mean, Toledo was, like, a city to me, believe me. Even though it was still, like, a village. Like, Toledo was like a city to me you know but a good thing is that like i mentioned like if i wanted to have fun i just traveled and then i came back you know i I feel like that's that was better to me because if i was in the bigger city i don't know what i would have done with myself you know but (laughs) thank goodness (laughs) thank goodness at least we survived right so i mean dr sheila you're a medical doctor right (laughs) 
<laughs> right. So, I mean, Dr. Sheila, you're a medical doctor. Dr. Idris, you're a pharmacist, a very accomplished one. I'm a pharmacist. And it just goes to show that at least we achieve what we st- stuck out for, right? And now, that's not all of the story. That is not all of the story for sure. The first huddle is getting into the U.S. Now, the second huddle is really getting into the professional programs that you really want to 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 get i feel like the, the professional programs that you want to get in and i feel like that's actually more difficult than even getting to the us because yeah. i mean the stress that you go through and that's something that i look forward to us talking about in yeah. another episode because i feel like you both will be very very resourceful <laughs> towards that i mean oh my god like when i think of the stress and the trauma <laughs> that we go through you know <laughs> Yeah, like your immigration, it's like immigration too, on the other hand, it's like, if you don't get in, you're going back home, bro. Like you're going back home. So it's like, you have to, (laughs) the pressure, right? The pressure of all of that. And thankfully, we all got into the programs that we sought after and we're here today. So that will be another episode. That will be another topic that I feel like will be very resourceful, especially coming from both of you. So I definitely look forward to it. Thank you, Dr. Fumbert. (laughs) Thank you guys, actually. So unfortunately, we have come to the end of this conversation and I hope that it was very resourceful to anyone out there who is aspiring to be an international student and travel to the U.S. And I feel like it's not that much of a different uh, process traveling to the U.K. as well. But I hope to talk to someone in the U.K. for them to share their experiences as well. But I hope that, you know, we can take this word and take this advice and take these experiences and, you know, share within our circles and help one another as, you know, we traverse this life in the U.S. of A, you know. And I really want to thank both of you, Dr. Sheila and Dr. Idris, for spending your time with me. It was really pleasant talking to you guys and i will see you guys in the next episode thank, thank you, you thank you very much both of you appreciate thank it. you that's it for today thank you for listening to our show if you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com also don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at living african podcast you can also connect with anyo directly on facebook or instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.